This episode is dedicated to Ronan TDK, Dog Dad High Life, and Martin Goldstein for becoming our newest Southpaw supporters and helping to make this project possible. This is Sam. This is Jason. And this is Fight Study. On this fight study, we're going to talk about Islam Makachev versus Bobby Green, then UFC 272 with Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal, and we were supposed to talk about RDA versus Rafael Faziv, but then I think five minutes before we started recording, Jason just told me that the fight got canceled, and I looked it up, and it did get canceled because the amazing part is is that this fight was supposed to happen last week and it was pushed. And so this is the second time that it's being delayed. But you know what? Because this is the fight that both Jason and I were looking forward to the most, we're still going to talk about it anyway because it's just an interesting matchup to think about and talk about. So that'll be just a what-if type of scenario for now until we know for sure when this fight is rebooked. Hopefully it, it comes up not too long from now. Well, let's hope for uh, for RDA's sake, since he hasn't fought since November of 2020. Right? It's been, I think guy's 38 years old. I'd like to see him, or 37. I'd love to see him fight before he's 40. His last fight was with Felder, and Felder's retired. So basically, he's been as active as a retired fighter, right? Right, that's it. As active as, as Paul Felder has been. So let's first talk about Makachev beating Green by stoppage in under four minutes of round one. Jason, give us your thoughts about this fight. Well, I mean, I think they're going to be pretty standardized across the board, but I'll tell you what I saw. Um, I liked, especially when the fight, right before the fight began, when the cameraman zoomed in on Makachev's face uh, just before the fight started, he looked as focused and fight ready. You know, just a man with a plan, controlling his breathing, controlling his heart rate, his adrenaline, just steadfast and ready for the task at hand. And I think as much as everyone wants to hype the crowd up, that kind of like surgical, controlled uh, 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 aggression or ability to control those vitals in preparation for for combat sport readiness is going to be what's going to really help some of these fighters who are fighting five round fights, like that kind of grizzled but yet stoic response to that kind of external stimuli. So that's the first thing I noticed when they they focused closely to his face like his eyes were just like ready for the task at hand and i don't necessarily see that a lot in mixed martial arts because everyone's so eager to entertain and seems to be um a lot of a lot of adrenaline versus uh versus like technical acumen in fight psychology you see it a lot more in boxing at the highest levels that type of readiness and that type of look yeah, absolutely. You do. And you also see it from like the, the Eastern Europeans, that kind of approach to combat. Um, you, you remember Fedor, like, uh, he looked like a goddamn cyborg. He looked like he was programmed and ready to fight and not take in any other stimuli and have any reactive mechanism other than, are you ready to fight? And you know, you see that, you see that more and more because controlling your blood pressure, controlling your adrenaline, controlling your heart rate, some of these guys have got to fight 
25 minutes. 15 minutes is hard enough, but 25 is a huge energy spend. And the greater you can control some of those physiological responses to stimuli, the more controlled you will be in a, in a violent and chaotic endeavor such as, such as fighting. Inner game of tennis stuff. Yeah, right? Like it is, can you, stay, can you stay dialed in and focus the task at hand? And if something goes wrong, can you process it and put it, uh, you know, put it in the rear view and just continue to, to approach the task at hand? Uh, but if we want to break down the fight, there's, well, we got about four minutes of a, of a fight <laughs> to break down. And I think only three real strikes landed. But it was still impressive. Like that short amount of time was so impressive. It really was, and I think like if you're if you're a fight analyst, you gotta hate uh, when Islam's on a card because there's not a whole lot to talk about other than how fucking strong he is and how he just breaks you down with basics. And I and I will touch on that again, but that's going to be a universal thing you're probably going to see across the board from people commenting um, on the fight. You know, but you know, what Makachev did right off the bat, he stayed. Fairly active with with feints and a disciplined stance, right, and some fake level changes. Um, but really, the only three strikes that I saw of any significance were like the left head kick right off the bat. Then you have the left low kick, um, and there was what a follow up low leg kick, follow up uh, left kick to the body that was like straight up the middle. And then I thought that kind of kick centric approach was good for. Like if you want Bobby Green to, to have to consistently bite on other shit that might set up your wrestling, you're going to have to throw something that's going to get him thinking about that. If not, he's a little bit too seasoned to just be like flinchy and, and, and spastic in response to, to feints that are leading nowhere. You know, other than some feints and some hand checking, Makachev just really started off those three kicks. But what you, what you saw from Bobby, uh, is he was even though he wasn't doing much, he was still doing some good things. When they did get into that pummel position, he had his underhook elbow high, um, and then he does that nice little shoulder pull and pivot to clear out and to clear out of the pummel position and not get stuck in what was eventually a continuation of a grappling exchange. But it's obvious from the jump when they do when they do connect when they do touch, it, it becomes very obvious just how physically strong Islam really is. But you did call in the preview of this that once you do clinch up, Green has those instant knees that he's so good at. And we did see that before, you know, it started getting real bad. But it's like reflexive. As soon as you get in there, he'll knee you at least twice. Yeah. And he does a good job of, of fixing his hip position so that you can't walk through and scoop those knees and take him down easily. But I, I saw a little bit, not panic, but urgency just because of, of how he was being manhandled um, in those pummel and clinch exchanges. Uh, by Islam. And that's something that Bobby Green even spoke to. I, I saw um, a video in an interview after a fight where he's just like, he was, he was, he was so strong. And we, we discussed that. We touched on it saying that like, though there are some things you just can't see. And I liked what Bobby was doing, but like, even though he's scoring with those knees, you want to get the fuck away from Islam Makachev. He's that strong. And eventually no matter how good your underhook position is, no matter how good your head position is, he is just going to, like a fucking hydraulic press, he will squeeze you and you're going down. Oh, so, like I said, it makes for a little bit of a shitty time for analysts to break down <laughs> because the main points of consideration, right? How strong Islam is, 
and how he can absolutely maul another really solid fighter with just strength and basics. And unless you have a physics background, right, and you can, can talk to like Pascal's law and power principles of applied hydraulics, there's really not much you can fucking say other than that. What was interesting was that Green did nothing wrong. I think I mentioned that to you as soon as the fight was over. Like, you can't say, oh, he fucked up and that's why he lost, right? There's nothing that he did that you could point at and be like, that was a flagrant mistake and that's what cost him the fight. No, there was no big mistakes. He didn't have a lot of time, but he had a game plan coming into this. He was waiting to counter. He was being patient. He was being good about his footwork. So he's not just standing there to get taken down, but it did not matter. To your point, once they tied up, I think you you messaged me this, that normally when you tie up, when you have over under in a clinch, there's some back and forth, right? And then you have to determine who's going to win this battle. But here, there was no back and forth. Makachev kept taking space in the clinch and only taking and taking until he got the takedown, then taking and taking until he had the mount. Then from there, he hit and hit until it was over. It's like often brought up as a cliche that MMA is like chess, but no, this isn't chess because in chess, you get turns. Whereas in this fight, Makachev took all of Bobby Green's turns and was very selfish in this fight, right? He didn't even give him that typical like reset where you like hit and then you kind of reset, kind of acknowledge and this like thing that I think people pick up from sparring where they constantly allow people to reset, right? Whereas in this, Makachev did not allow even that kind of gentlemanly reset at any point. And even when it went to the ground, it's not like Green looked like a fish out of water. It just looked like Makachev is a world-class wrestler fighting a non-world-class wrestler. And that's what most of Makachev's fights have looked like. The scary part is, is that as high as we were on Makachev, he looked even more impressive in this fight. So he's also getting better. And I think part of getting better is he's getting more confident. A note to our loyal listeners, if you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, as well as our private chat group on Discord. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Well, I think you speak to a lot of great points, really. When you say he makes those those incremental improvements where he's he's taking the his opponent's turns in a game of chess or checkers. It's like at that point, if you're allowed three moves in a row in either of those games, you're never gonna fucking lose. And that's what he does. He's so strong, he's so heavy, and everything he does from that top position is to create more pressure. Everything he does, I've never seen someone so confident with the overhook position in the clinch. Like he's great with it. He actually pulls it up to the point where even though Bobby Green's elbow positioning in the underhook, where he either wants, you can either circle it to the trap or you can take it across the back in sort of that seatbelt position, whatever it was, uh, 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 Makachev just sort of pinched it and pulled it up and then just controlled where his hips were in space. And it was a matter of time before he, if he used those, I don't think he was really working those trips to do other to do anything other than get uh, Bobby Green stepping so that he could beat him to his hips and just drag him to the fucking mat. And he did it so effortlessly that like it's odd because I don't know if you noticed, but there was some there was some Twitter hate 
on on Islam still. And it's like, hey, there's always kickboxing, fellas. Like, fuck, man. (laughs) I mean, that's as exciting as grappling is going to get. Like, that's the dominance you want to see. Yeah. And I'm tired of that. Oh, grappling. Hey, man. Leave that to the the Diaz brothers to talk about how how pussified or whatever word they want to use for for how wimpy wrestling is because there's other sports that don't have that component. <laughs> so you decided to do one that does, uh, and you might want to get good at it. So like that, and that's what you get. And it, like, again, I think Bobby Green is a pretty solid wrestler. I'm really really impressed with with Bobby Green as, as a fighter, and in his post fight interviews. Um, even directly, uh, immediately after the fight, he said the right things. And I'll be honest, he, like everyone says, he seems like so and so seems like a guy I want to have a beer with. Most fucking fighters, you don't want to be anywhere near. They're, mo- they're, <laughs> I say it, they're silly, ignorant, and egotistical, and they'll probably they'll probably steal the tip you put down. And you can say that you want to hang out with them, but Bobby Green legitimately comes across like someone I wouldn't I wouldn't mind hanging out with. That just you know, he just comes across like he seems to know fighting and know like the human psychology. He is free of ego enough to admit his mistakes uh, with, with some transparency so that you don't seem like you're getting the UFC talking points or some sort of twisted uh, public relations rationalization of everything he says. There's some some depth and humility that he has both in victory and defeat. And it's pretty refreshing. So I found myself rooting for him all the time but if i had a trillion dollars i would have put it all on islam before this fight the last fight makachev had where he had some troubles was in 2019 and it had so much back and forth that it was actually fight of the night and that was against armin sarukian who also fought on this card so outside of makachev the best wrestler at 155 in my opinion right now is armin sarukian and he had a type of fight that you're supposed to have as an up-and-comer where he just completely mauled a fighter that was actually much bigger than him and just made it look easy. It was just a mauling. And that's what you get, right? And that, that you get mauled. And you, when you see someone else just sort of sort of like overwhelm another human being who is a legitimate fighter, uh, not be able to handle their, their, their physical presence in, in the cage. And that's, that's something to behold. And I think that's, that's why I have problems with people who don't give the fighters who have that ability regardless if you like their style if you can't address the fact that they are that um that overwhelming in terms of their dominance when they are in the cage against another top tier fighter or just another legitimate fighter then and then you don't get the the nuance of fight dynamics other than like the the just bleed propaganda that you've been fed from the beginning of this thing you had two of the best wrestlers at 155 fight on this card, and they both mauled their opponents. So it shows you how these two right now, as far as wrestling and grappling goes, they're in a league of their own. And, and the, the grappling strength, like, number one, how big are Armin's abs? Like His abs look like fists on his belly, right? <laughs> they're just so big. It tells me like his core strength, his ability to, to grab you and then rotate you from the core into his posterior chain. It doesn't seem like uh, Armin or or Islam. It doesn't seem like they tire, so they can keep that pace on you. They can keep that squeeze and not be physically spent. And uh, Habib was good at that too. And instead of 
instead of being cognizant of, instead of like, admitting that that is something that most fighters aren't good at and aren't capable of doing, they're able to. And so like them being a physical outlier in that area allows them to fight to that strength and they'd be crazy not to. Now let's preview Covington versus Masvidal. Masvidal is not a big welterweight. He also has a lot of miles on him. He also hasn't fought in a year. Covington fought Kamaru Usman November of last year and had a rocky start, but looked improved as the fight progressed. Now, since both fighters are dirtbags, I think this actually makes it easier to be unbiased for this fight. <laughs> so for Covington to win, what do you think he needs to do? Well, I mean, I think it's going to be just like you said, that uh, like it's, it's tough for me to because I, I like to, to pick at both of these guys because I don't I, I can't think of two individuals I disagree with more like politically or as as human beings. To add to your point about not liking them, it's not just political. So I guess the beef with them also stems back to Masvidal hooking Covington up with a couple of his own coaches, the coaches that Masvidal uses. And then I guess Covington stiffed them, which isn't that uncommon in MMA. There's so many stories about fighters, even big name fighters like John Jones, like fighters who make a ton of money stiffing their coaches. So you got that to add to Covington's dirtbaggery, right? Like he's the guy who will steal that tip money. All right. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you across the board like that. Anyway, <laughs> um, cardio and wrestling. That's what, that's what Covington's going to do. Um, he'll do that sort of wild volume style where he looks like a non-left-handed fighter fighting left-handed. I mean, I don't even know what, what you call his striking, but uh, it's it's effective because he's able to put that pace on you. He has a pretty solid chin, though it's been checked a couple times by Usman. Um, but if if he didn't have that cardio, I'd have to go with with Masvidal, even though he's got as many miles on him as he does. But Co Covington does, so I think the advantage uh, lies with Covington uh, in this fight. Um, you know, I like Masvidal. I think he's a good puncher and an excellent body kicker. And that, that's something to touch on because if, if Masvidal can start to poke some holes in the gas tank, touching Covington to the body and taking away his, his ability to breathe, what did, it, what did Covington say? He had a second lung. <laughs> that was what he said instead of saying a third lung. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but he said he has a, a second lung referring to his cardio. So if you can start to poke some holes in that gas tank a little bit without getting taken down, then, um, then you know, there, there's a possibility there that you can at least somewhat mitigate, uh, mitigate that, that cardio to some extent. But it's not like Masvidal has bad cardio, right? He doesn't really gas out per se, but he's also not known for high pace. So he's lost some decisions where he, he doesn't gas out, but he slowed down a tad, right? So that's why he's lost to fighters that he should be able to beat. So do you think in a five-round match with the pace of Covington, he gasses out even more? I don't think he'll gas out. I think he does a great job with the underhooks and great, a great job using the cage. But when you're pinned against the cage and you've lost some split decisions and you have, um, let's call it, been reserved in the past and lost some decisions that otherwise, like when he did let his hands go or let his strikes go, he looked pretty good. It's going to be tough to pull from the, the judges um, state of mind that, hey, this human being has been pinned against this cage for three out of five minutes in a round that was relatively close in any other fight metric. 
that that's something that, that is very, very easy for even the dumbest of judge to grasp. And I don't think that that's going to that's gonna tire Covington out. He can do that for, for 25 minutes every day, all day. Um, and the, like the, the work that Masvidal is able to do at distance, especially against a southpaw, I think if he can land that right kick to the body, it can pay off. But, I mean, it's a trade-off because that puts you at, at a takedown risk and, uh, and Covington to takedown threat. So if you start throwing that that long power kick to uh, to Covington's open side, then there's some there's some some time for even Covington's striking defense to to adjust and find a takedown. How do you rate Masvidal's wrestling? Because he's been in the game a long time, and so he's been working on his wrestling also for a very long time. So do you think he's going to be able to stuff? Uh, a lot of Covington's takedowns where it might give Covington some pause against the cage. Yes. And, and that's where I think that's where I think massive Dow is masterful in making someone work against the cage in a race to a red light. They go nowhere. They just they keep trying to climb up this either drop to the legs or climb up the hips. And he just underhook pulls you up and he stays calm while the other person is working. But that is a bit of a problem in a close fight. If you're staying calm while the other individual is working, um, that he did it uh, incredibly well against Maya, the point where I think that like, it was a deservingly a split decision. And some people thought um, uh, that Masvidal snuck it. I personally didn't. I thought Maya did enough, bored me to death doing it, but I thought Maya did enough to get the win. But that's what I think we're probably going to be looking at here is you know, we've got the technical skill of Masvidal versus the cardio wrestling machine that is Covington. Right, you know, and other than the 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 technical skill from Masvidal, he's got a little bit of fuck you to him, but that doesn't always show itself um, in in striking exchanges, especially whenever whenever you're fighting a volume striker like Covington, where you have to worry about a takedown threat. So uh, we'll probably see a very very close fight where like all the MAGA assholes really really. Just Covington, Covington, and then all the fucking weird uh, Masvidal fucking folks that always think he wins every split decision where he just doesn't pull the trigger in the last 30 seconds to separate themselves have that still, that that strange inability to even recognize their own hypocrisy in a fight sport where they want action. So like that that's what I think you're going to get. I think you're going to see a close fight and a lot of bitching and then a lot of dumb people saying run it back and <laughs> that's uh that's, that's right <laughs> i think the, the ufc would be fine with that if you love the southpaw project please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on patreon it'll help us supplement the cost of running this project the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle southpaw with our day jobs but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Now let's talk the fantasy matchup between RDA versus Fazeev. And RDA hasn't fought since 2020. And now that the fight is delayed, it's going to be even longer since he's fought. Fazeev had that classic fight with Brad Riddell in December of last year. 
but RDA will be his toughest test yet. RDA is also a southpaw pressure fighter, which throws a lot of people off. RDA is also good at mixing in his striking with his wrestling. So for RDA to beat Fazeev, how does he get it done? He's got to mix it in. He's got to make it look like that he's equal part striker and equal part grappler. He can't he can't expect to just make it a wrestle fest and bore anybody. He didn't do that against Felder, but at least one judge thought he did and gave Felder uh, a split decision in what, what most people universally thought was a 50-45 fight for RDA. Even Felder thought that. Right? Even Paul. Not, it wasn't even a consideration. So I think if you take someone streaking who is as, as fan-friendly as Fazeev, who has a now he's only got 12 fights, but he's got a pretty record. He's pretty clean at 11 and 1. And yeah, he's on a five fight streak. That you sort of, you, you sort of, like the human condition says, hey, man, I sort of want you to, I want to see that. Like for the sake of, let's get some new blood into the sport. If it becomes any kind of like, wrestling heavy approach, if there's someone that can argue that, that Felder won that fight, I think that they would probably argue also that. That uh, Tazeev wins the fight, so I think he has to mix it up and at least be dynamic enough in offense to to be a dual threat and not not just overly wrestling centric. Now, as you mentioned, Tazeev has been on quite a streak, but we haven't seen him against a wrestler like RDA. Though Tazeev trains with Peter Yan, and so that camp trains a lot of wrestling, and Tazeev has been wrestling even before MMA but we still don't know how good his wrestling is. So how do you think he gets this done? What I like about Fazeev is the timing of his hips. Like he has that reaction time where if you do lower your level, he gets his hips back. Like he has a good wrestling response. Um, he doesn't just back straight out. He looks like he's got good hip awareness and hip positioning that you're not just going to be able to, to dive bomb him. Um, he is a diverse enough striker and an aggressive enough striker that you would think that, that more openings would present themselves. But I think that diversity keeps anyone from able to being able to just sort of sit on a single technique and time it. Um, where that gets a little bit interesting in this fight is Desanios' pressure. So can he get uh, Fiziev on that back foot a little bit, trying to keep that space? And when you are moving backward, it's not the same sort of presence, even if, even in timing of your hips. When you're not able to dictate that that pace and dictate the distance throughout, so the counter pressure of the Sanyos, I'm really really interested in, and and I, I like the way um, the Sanyos will will wrestle off his strikes and, and find entries. He did an excellent job against Felder, who fought in like the and fought in an orthodox stance versus. Uh, the Sanyo Southpaw stance, and he, he can find either the single or you can cut it all the way across that double leg. Um, and uh, he makes it look, he does it without a huge energy spend. But again, we're talking about a fighter who hasn't fought in, in two over two years, right? What, 20, what, what month are we in? No. Um, and since 2020. And because uh, he's been active. <laughs> he's been active against some guys who... Do some pretty interesting shit striking wise. Bobby Green's uh, a, a pretty interesting striker, and Riddell's a lot of fun also. Then he had Moicano too. Yeah, right. Another another guy. The variable here is going to be the the, the time off that um, 
and the ring rust maybe that we might see with, with Dos Anjos at 37 years old. So that's, I think that's probably the most interesting thing. But even when he had almost 10 months off against Felder, he fought at a, a relatively high pace, um, didn't seem to tire. Felder, even when they say he took the fight on five days notice, Felder's always in shape. He is always in that kind of fight shape. And I, I guarantee you there's a little more to that narrative of Felder being being fight ready than most people want want to admit. Um, but again, there's um, fight preparedness and fight readiness um, in a real camp scenario. And then there's the, the fight scenario or the fight readiness that you get um, when, you've, when you've been shelved since 2020. So how that affects them, uh, I think that's, that's the big question. I think the other wrinkle we don't know about is when this gets rebooked, is it going to be a three-round fight or a five-round fight? Because initially it was going to be a main event for a fight night. So it was going to be five rounds. And then because it was on this pay-per-view and they weren't the main event, it was going to be three rounds. So I think if it goes five rounds, that also favors RDA. Definitely. Not that RDA will for sure win, but that's going to be more of an RDA advantage than it is going to be a Fazeev advantage. Absolutely. Fazeev's only had 12 fights total as a professional. And uh, shit, RDA probably has that many five-round fights in his career. And has Fazeev ever been five? No, he's never been booked as a main event. His fight with Riddell was three rounds. Bobby Green was three rounds. And he looked to fade, fade a little bit against Bobby Green. So, I mean... Does, does he fight with a different sense of, of pace? And can RDA come with that kind of pressure that, and have success with it without getting picked apart early or hit with anything too big um, to make that kind of, like, that, to have Kazeev fade under, under that kind of pressure? If RDA can still pull that off, I think a five-round fight, my, my money would be on RDA. So initially, this was going to be a five-round fight. And so I picked RDA. Then when I heard it got moved to this card and it was a three-round fight, then I picked Vaziv. But now I don't know what it's going to be, but if it goes back to five rounds, I might end up picking RDA again just because I feel like Vaziv might do well in the first two and then it starts getting real close in the third round and then it might become all RDA four and five. So we'll see. Yeah, and how significant is his COVID exposure? So it, if he has any, any lingering effects to that and, you know, fighters, fighters, they're in denial of just about everything that makes sense. So like that he may be lying to himself that it, that it, that it, it would have any effect on him or not. You know, I don't know. I don't know if it's even enough. I just know like the, the fighter psyche as a generalization, but you know, would, uh, would, would Fazeev be, uh, of the mindset that, Hey, I don't care what, what it is three or five. I think it benefits him. That benefits him greatly to keep it at three. All right. That's all for this episode. Catch us next time as we recap UFC 272. Thank you for listening.